0: questions you always had, the answers
1: you were never given, the place
0: to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Are esoteric and occult symbols, icons, themes, and undercurrent intentionally placed in films, or do they manifest by happenstance? Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, past, present, and future, subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Tonight, we discuss more esoteric imagery in popular movies with a veteran of this radio program, Robert W. Sullivan IV, Esquire, a philosopher, historian, antiquarian, jurist, theologian, writer, and lawyer. He has written many books, including the latest one, Cinema, symbolism too. And we have a more comprehensive bio right on our website at VeritasRadio.com. And directly from Baltimore, Maryland, I'd like to welcome Robert Sullivan. Hello, Robert, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you?
1: Thank you, Mel. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And uh, it's a pleasure to be back on Veritas. Yes, I believe this is my third time on. It's always a pleasure to be here. And um, I'm looking forward to this interview. Uh, it's much appreciated. And i uh, Thank you
0: so much for having me on. Absolutely. Likewise. And I read this question during the intro, but I'll read it again because I think it's a great opener. Are esoteric and occult symbols, icons, themes, and undercurrents intentionally placed in films, or do they manifest by happenstance?
1: My, my answer is, I believe in most instances, they are intentionally placed. I think there are instances where they could be accidental. I don't rule that out, uh, but I believe because of how well this this esoteric um, th- this esoterica is presented in films and how uh, well adroitly it's concealed, leads me to believe that it is it is uh, that, that a um, a uh, intentional hand is behind it. I do think there are instances, there are exceptions to the rule where it could be by accident. Um, I don't rule that out. I don't rule that out when I am a- analyzing a film. But but when you really start breaking some of these movies down, I mean, and, and you start seeing, you, you understand the context, the esoteric context it's being presented in. And then you really begin to understand the symbolism of what the filmmaker and the filmmakers are going for. I, I, there is little doubt in my mind, Mel, that these guys are master craftsmen and really know what they're doing. And yes, it is intentionally placed in, in modern day cinema and, and, and older cinema as well. This is not, I'll, I'll just end the question. This is not a new invention. Um, you will find this in cinema um, going back to its inception. Uh, movies such as Metropolis, you know, and then into the 40s with Wizard of Oz. So, yes, I do believe it is It is very, uh, it is intentionally placed in film.
0: I remember when I watched Metropolis, a very old movie, great movie, with the soundtrack by Giorgio Moroder. It's, it's a very strange thing to do, but it's interesting. Now, jokingly, I was asking you before we started, this is, wow, you just added so many more movies do you spend an enormous amount of time dissecting every movie before you can write about them?
1: Yes, I, I generally. The, I, I, it's a great question, uh, and that it, 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 this study cannot then be done in a movie theater. I mean, I need my notepad. I need to be able to write notes. I, uh, the, the movie, you know, has to be watched and then has to be rewatched, and then it, depending on how well this stuff is hidden and what the filmmakers' intentions are, you know, you will constantly find just the littlest thing. Um, the littlest symbol could have some greater meaning later on in the movie, or vice versa. Something that happens later on in the movie could have been anticipated, uh, perhaps by something that happened earlier. Um, it, it, it takes multiple viewings to pick up on this, uh, at least for me. Uh, it takes note taking. Um, a lot of times, these movies are multi-layered, um, so they have one, you know, multiple levels of symbolism. I think of a movie like Wizard of Oz, a movie I took on in my first book. I think of another movie like crimson peak, um, which is multi-layered. Um, and, and the, the answer is, you know, we were talking about this right before the show, you know, you know, in the, in the pre-show portion it is, it, it's watching the show and or watching the movie and it, it can be, it can be without question. I don't deny that this can be very arduous at times. Um, you know, I'll be sitting there writing, and you need to reference a scene or look at it, and I was telling you – I mean, this is true, and if you, if a person out there has a Blu-ray player, they're going to know what I'm talking about. If you turn a Blu-ray player on and you throw a movie on, I mean, it can be 15, 20 minutes before you can even pull up the movie, even skipping over the previews and the ad, advertisements. I mean, this can become very time-consuming. Um, And, you know, luckily, sometimes if I'm writing and I I can find the scene or what I'm looking for or or on on YouTube or something, that does save time and and can be uh, advantageous. But, um, yeah, it takes multiple viewings. Um, It takes uh, extensive note taking. Um, You got to pay attention. You can't watch the movie, uh, you know, like have it on in the background. I mean, you got to sit there and really watch it. Um, And like I said, it's a deep study. Um, and uh, it it, it can be time-consuming. I certainly do not deny that.
0: Before I forget, let me bring up the... Let's start with some movies. Let me bring up the John Carpenter movie. I'm a huge fan of John Carpenter, by the way. Uh, They Live, from 1988. Lots of symbolism, and usually a movie's more, dare I say, covert... Or the people behind the film, you know, they hit us with the collective unconscious, as Carl Jung used to say, in how they use their symbolism. You know, The Matrix comes to mind with uh, Neo's Passport expiration date, uh, September 11th, 2001. But sure. the movie They Live, it was always, you know, as a Jeff Carpenter it was slapping us in the face, attacking the collective. Conscious, if I can say that, so we could wake up to how things really are, you know, the aliens employ subliminal, hypnotic, obey, conform, marry, uh, reproduce, sleep, consume, and to have no independent thought. This movie, do you think George Carpenter did it on purpose? And I'm surprised that he was able to get out there because we watch this thing now over, you know, 20, almost 30 years later, and it's, wow, this is happening
1: yeah it's, it's a great film to begin with it's a movie that i take on inside cinema symbolism too um it's a great movie to start with as well because there's a lot going on inside that movie um oh yes i mean i think it's completely intentional by carpenter um, no doubt about it i have a chapter in cinema symbolism two, and this is the chapter the movie falls under it's called the illuminati in film uh and and certainly um you know you know you think of an Illuminati movie and I'm not talking about the Illuminati being a force in Hollywood pulling the strings I'm actually talking about the group um, you know as it is presented on screen as it is presented in cinema and uh, with with uh, they live um, I, I put this in the Illuminati character category where you really have this the, the this race of aliens you know the suppression the, the the complete um, suppression of the divine spark um, the, the you know trying to extinguish it um the the moral consciousness that's a catchphrase you will constantly hear now um you will find it in this movie 20 years ago where the aliens are obviously trying to keep uh the the human race in a dumbed down uh you know condition of stasis um so so the aliens are really presented as this puppet master they're using consumerism materialism to enslave mankind um, and yeah, I mean, it, it has all those elements. And I think uh, Carpenter really um, did a great job with the film. and I think he was trying to tell us something. I, I said in the book, and this was absolutely true. Um, the, the protagonist in the in the movie was played by the professional wrestler, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who died a little rest in peace. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And Piper had actually thrown out a tweet, I want to say, or at some point in time, and made a comment something to the effect that he considered the movie a documentary. I mean, that's pretty interesting as well that, you know, that this was really going on in society. And I, th- I think you can find elements of this, you know, I mean, I think Carpenter obviously with the whole space alien thing is, you know, it- it's not meant to be taken quite literally, but there are realistic elements in it. Consumerism, materialism, the obsession with wealth. Um, you know, I, I mean, I-, I like it in the movie where even – you have the 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 guys on on the the, the the hacker who's hacking the alien signal coming in saying there's this world consciousness they want to keep them, uh, you know humanity impoverished i mean even the people watching are like you know just shut this guy up i mean they don't even want to hear it you know it, it's it's like it's like they say in the matrix movie you know when, when Morpheus is telling neo most people just want to tune this stuff out that is absolutely true um and and you know, you, you will find that uh even today where a lot of people would just prefer to live you know, or or not, or not accept a, a painful truth, as it were, and just accept a, a almost like a, a falsehood, as it were. It's more comfortable, I suppose. But I love the movie. Um, it's something I took on. It's it's very illuministic, um, and I, it's funny. I was on another show with this, and I'll just end on this. Um, this this movie also contains elements of Gnostic theology, and uh, I, I talk about this in the book. And it, it, I, I I was talking to this other host, and it it kind of came to mind. You know, why is it that these Illuminati movies or these Puppet Master movies are Gnostic? And I think it's the role of the Demiurge, you know, the Puppet Master controlling mankind. So you have these Illuminati overtones in in They Live, but also some Gnostic elements as well. I I totally agree with you, Mel. Very symbolic. And it's a great film.
0: We were working on an interview or or getting an interview with Roddy Piper back in 2013 or 14. And I really wonder what he would have said about this. If you know, if he would have been allowed to even talk about it,
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, Piper, Piper is the um, protagonist in it. I, I believe he died a, a little over a year ago. It may have been two years now. It was fifteen or sixteen. I, fifteen, I, I, yeah, okay. So it's been two years then. Um, and I, I believe there was a tweet he sent out uh, saying, um, you know, that he considered the movie a documentary. I like it in the um, the film how the aliens are using materialism and consumerism and, and this is again a gnostic theme as well and how piper is rejecting all this and you know through the through the sunglasses he's able to see through their lies and you know one of the main gnostic tenets is anti-materialism uh you know you know you know spiritual you know shedding off of materialism for spiritual gnosis and i, I like it in the film i mean his name is nada uh, which is spanish for nothing um, and that's very Gnostic. Uh, you know, he's nothing, but he's going to take down the material uh, overwards. Uh, you know, the the, the, the the Demiurge-like, you know, aliens. They remind me of what, you know, in Gnosticism, what you would call archons or something like that. You know, the, the sort of enforcers of the Demiurge. So, yeah, it's it's a very symbolic movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what, you know, I, I don't know what Piper would have said about it uh, in an interview. I know that he did throw out a tweet, uh, I believe, at some point in time because I, I quoted in there um where he considered the movie a documentary
0: but it's interesting how they add the alien variable to the equation you know, hard to reach untouchable when it, you know when we look at how things run right now I, I have a hard time believing that it's a it's an alien somewhere else pulling the strings i think it's a group of people and we've discussed this somewhat before in a couple of shows before the last one we did but uh, these puppeteers Very hard to reach. If you look at the Federal Reserve, if you look at behind the scenes, do you see any connection here that they're putting this alien thing to distract people from the real puppeteers?
1: Well, I don't know if I'd go so far to say it's a distraction. I think it's more of a cinematic device. Um, And you will find this where the aliens, you know, are probably a little more cinematically appealing than the Federal Reserve or something like that. Than a few men or women, yep. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the aliens are supposed to be metaphors for the puppet masters is the, is the way I, I kind of would interpret the movie. Um, you know, wh- whatever you want to call it, you know, the Federal Reserve, Bilderberg, trilateral, you know, skull and bones or something like that. I, I think it's more metaphoric. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see the aliens, you know, as Carpenter actually believing there's a race of aliens who are, you know, doing all this. I mean, I, I think it's done for entertainment purposes, but nevertheless, I think the the underlying theme is powerful. And I think that's really all that matters when it comes to that movie because it's so, it's so well done, and I, I just think it's a great film. And uh, it really is a, it really is a lesson of you know like a warning almost about materialism and seeking uh you know how how you know and like I said it's very gnostic in this how spiritual gnosis should be sought over materialism. I, I think on an esoteric level that, that that's the underlying theme of that film.
0: And I said Federal Reserve. <laughs> I was just you know, folks, you can fill in the blanks. I could sure. say Tavistock Institute. I could say Committee of Three Hundred. You name it. So now another movie, and since the sequel of this movie is coming out, I'll, I'll like to discuss it too. Blade Runner two thousand forty nine. Let's talk about the nineteen eighty two original. What were some of the gnostic and occult aspects of of that movie?
1: Sure. This this was a movie that I talk about in cinema symbolism too, and I, a movie that I took on in cinema symbolism. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you're dealing with all sorts of esoteric uh, occult. Kabbalistic uh, themes. I mean, right off the bat, you're doing with Gollum making, Gollum creation, um, the the um, imbument of an you know inanimate object in this in this case a robot, um, which is not inanimate but it's a robot with human qualities with human traits, um, and and this is exactly what you have uh, in in Blade Runner. Uh, with the Nexus Sixes. This is, again, another Gnostic film where the Nexus Sixes are more philosophical and more interested in the spiritual gnosis than, they are, than their human counterparts are. Um, it, it, the whole movie is sort of what I would describe as a Gnostic journey. Um, and you'll find this in other movies as well where the character of Rick, Rick, Descartes, uh, this is Harrison Ford. I mean, there's a whole underlying um, th- uh, theme in that movie is whether he's a Nexus Six also. Um, this is never fully solved. Um, but it's certainly possible. Um, and and where, where he, he he is actually a Nexus Six, and he's on a spiritual journey to figure this out. He does come to the epiphany that the Nexus Sixes are worthy of human life. I mean, I, I like it how the Tyrell, the symbol of Tyrell is the owl, which is the symbol of wisdom. So not, not only are these guys the creators of life, they're also symbolically the creators of wisdom. And thus you have the um, you know the Nexus Sixes as these very like philosophical warriors. Um, you think of them almost as fallen angels, as what I call Inakian demons, um, sort of good bad guys. You know they're trying to help mankind out, trying to show mankind that they're worthy of life. Mankind doesn't want to hear it. Um, this this is very Enochian where the the demons are trying to help mankind out with the knowledge. But um, ultimately, it's considered evil in the end. You'll, you'll find this symbolism where the one Nexus 6, played by Joanna Cassidy, is killed. Uh, and, and, and when she's shot, you, her, if you look at her shoulder blades, it looks like clipped wings, um, like a fallen angel. That, that's very well done. And then again, at the end, you have the whole, the whole symbolism with, with Rick Ducard symbolizing Gnosis You know, or obtaining gnosis, I should say. It's pouring rain, symbolizing the rain, rain, you know, the waters of baptism. He goes up, he ascends the building, symbolizing ascension, the attainment of knowledge. And of course, then he has his gnostic epiphany with uh, with Roy Batty, there, realizing that the Nexus Sixes are deserving of life. Um, You have the Christ allegory uh, going on with Roy Batty, where he releases the dove. Uh, as a symbol of his Holy Spirit, this comes out of the New Testament, where um, Christ is being baptized. You know, again, the water symbolism, the rain symbolism, uh, and and uh, the dove uh, descends from heaven, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. So again, a Christian allegory there as well. And it's it's symbolically showing you, yes, the Nexus Sixes do have souls, and Batty expires, and of course, then the the bird takes off and he's ascending to heaven. Uh, very religious, very Gnostic. Uh, all this is. Um, in modern day, if you want to fast forward some of the symbolism, uh, and I'll just end the question on this, uh, you know, you know, you think of a movie like V for Vendetta. Uh, same same symbolism where the girl played by Natalie Portman, Evie, ascends the building, at, you know, in the midway point to receive Gnosis. Now she's joining V in his nihilistic mission. Spiritual Gnosis against the, you know, all-consuming uh, Norse fire England. Uh, again, same, same symbolism, ascends the building in the pouring rain. Ascension, baptism, rebirth. Um, the clipped wings. Uh, symbolism, this is a movie uh, comes out of you'll find this in modern day movie that came out a few years ago by Walt Disney called Maleficent it's the whole notion of the Enochian demon, the good bad guy or the misunderstood bad guy where Maleficent is trying to be positive but winds up being a fallen angel and, and this is p- portrayed on film quite literally where the one character literally clips her wings off of her um, so very religious, very a lot of symbolism um, of course I have not seen the new Blade Runner movie yet, it, it's not out uh, I look very much forward to seeing it, but um, yeah, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, a lot of esoteric symbolism on it, and again, I believe just to harken back to what you were asking me at the beginning of the show, I believe it's all intentional and and very well done.
0: And since we're talking about Ridley Scott, let's just talk about Prometheus for a moment. Again, we see the the seeding of life, but extraterrestrial rays, or you know, panspermia in a way, uh, like the movie ET, and the cover you see the. The finger of an alien touching uh, Elliot, or if you go to the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo, you see God touching the hand of Adam. You see these things are more and more saying God is an extraterrestrial
1: well that's right mel and and I'm glad you brought the the e t symbolism up because that's a great that's a great point to make is you know we talk about you know uh cinema symbolism hidden symbols in me in clues and in, in movies um this is a deep study uh movie posters can have esoteric meaning uh the music employed in in movies can have an esoteric uh, meaning my goodness gracious I, I i've i've been asked about this on other shows um the casting of a particular actress or actress can be done for occult purposes for the cultural balances they bring to a certain movie and invest this movie um subconsciously from other movies. This is a fascinating study, uh, movies can draw other movies. Um, so, you know, that whole thing there with E.T. touching Elliot's hand, this is a point I make in the book, that is a complete, um, replication of the, you're correct, of the Sistine Chapel with Michelangelo. And it, it's definitely, you know, suggesting the whole notion that, um, God, the Supreme Being is extraterrestrial. Um, No, no question about it. Um, And you'll see it there right there on the E.T. poster. And and it's it's a fascinating study how far these uh, movie makers will go to include this imagery. I mean, my goodness gracious, in the first book, um, I actually documented that the movie's release date. uh, It was the third Omen movie, uh, The Final Conflict. Um, The release date of that movie had occult meaning. Um, So these guys, you know, it, it go. This study goes beyond just you know watching a movie and looking for hidden clues or numbers or you know ancient religions you know with, with, with a new coat of paint on them I mean it's actors it's the music it's the release date um, I mean it, it, the, the, the whole the whole cinematic experience um, can really be a cult and can really be you know a form of sorcery of modern day sorcery and as far as I'm concerned that's really what it is
0: the release date of the omen, June 25th,
1: 1976. Now, no, no, wasn't so it? The, uh, no, the uh, the third omen was released in 1981. Hang on. Uh, hang on one second here.
0: Let me pull this up. March 20th, 1981.
1: Correct. That is the vernal equinox of 1981. That's right. That is the death of darkness, death of the Antichrist, and the return of light, return of the sun. And, of course, this is the movie where um, Damian Thorne, the Antichrist, is defeated. And in the movie, it's the return of Christ that even comes back at all things at the vernal equinox. Of course, this is the uh, you know, end of darkness, the end of winter, when God's divine light, the sun, returns. The sun, S-U-N or S-O-N, depending on uh, how you want to look at it. Um, but, yeah, the release of that date. Um is the vernal equinox. It's the defeat of darkness. It's the def- it's the light returning, and it's the defeat of darkness. And voila, what do you have in the final dark- uh, conflict? The defeat of the Antichrist. Very occult, very well done. My hats off to these guys.
0: I loved that movie. I love the three of them, but this one in particular. One thing I really, really enjoyed was the photography. There was something about the the the, the film per se, the way it was shot. I don't know. It was it had this darkness. The colors. I don't know if you felt the same thing.
1: No, I agree with you, Mel. I think all those all three of them. Um the first one is the one that everyone seems to, you know, know and, and probably right. consider the best one. Um I like all three of them. Um I'm with you. I think the second one was very good, and I thought the third one was very good. I, I, I don't think for for, for for sequels, I don't think they could have gone in any direction with it. And any other direction. I, I thought I thought the sequels two and three were very well done. And I, I agree with you. I thought part three was very beautifully shot. Um, you've got the sweeping landscapes. You've got that real creepy uh, satanic temple he has up in the attic. Um, you know, I, I like it. Um, there, there's some very weird imagery going on in that with, the, you know, with the returning sun, the vernal equinox. When he gets into the studio um, with, with the reporter, there's I don't know why it's there. There are Egyptian um, what you want to call uh, artwork. Um, you know, it looks like it was taken right out of the pyramids. You know, Horus, Isis, Osiris, the returning sun. Um, you know, and again, you know, kind of drawing on the notion of Christianity being, you know, the the whole idea of the resurrected sun coming from the Osirian cycle. Uh, very, very adroit. All, all, the, all three of the Omen movies have um, esoteric imagery in them. I mean, another example of this. I mean, a, a great example was the second one, um, part two when Damien Thorne is coming into becoming a young man in the teenage years. And of course, this is when he's beginning to recognize his power and realize his destiny, that he's the Antichrist. And it's the same trick that these filmmakers do, and they they love to use this trick with the weather. Um, The Omen 2, this is, of course, when the Antichrist is coming into power, um, becoming powerful. So that entire movie um, flip-flops between autumn and winter. When there's no sun, it's the death of light again, the death of Christ. Um, if you watch the Omen part two, uh, there is no summer. There is no spring. Uh, we have spring in the third one when darkness is defeated and the Antichrist dies in Omen two, where Damien Thorne is gaining power, um, that entire movie um, and pay attention to this when the next time you watch it flip flops endlessly between autumn and winter. Uh Fascinating. yeah, And right. it has to do with the death of the sun. And again, I think it, it works And it works subconsciously and consciously, and it's excellent, excellent craftsmanship by the filmmakers.
0: The Death of the Sun. Some movies do that. For example, I don't think you mentioned this in your book, but it just came to mind, a film by uh, J.A. Bayona, a great Spanish director called The Orphanage. I don't know if you ever watched that movie, but it has the same look and feel of the old man.
1: You know, I haven't seen the film, um, but, you know, this is a theme and and a technique uh, the filmmakers do employ, and it's not limited to the Omen film, um, two other movies, and I know the listeners will be familiar with these, that employs the same exact, you know, occult trick or occult technique is The Exorcist and uh, The Shining, where in The Exorcist, you have the Jesuit out in the desert at the very beginning, um, confronting the evil demon, the statue of Pazuzu. And what do we have? Well, we have the setting sun in the background, the, you know, the death of light. Um, the, the, you know, darkness is on its way. And then the movie flips, changes scenery to Georgetown, where the, how we go into the house where the mother and the daughter are, well, fast forward a little bit. We go to the, uh, where the, where the mother is, uh, making the movie at Georgetown university and she's walking home and she's accosted by the trick or treaters. Now that's a very unique trick that William Pelt, Peter Blatty has just done with you, with the viewer, because, Um, he's showing you, and he's not putting it on the screen, he's not putting like Halloween on the bottom or October 31st at the bottom, but by showing you those trick-or-treaters going up to Ellen Burstyn, uh, he's showing you that we're now heading towards darkness. Halloween is the halfway point between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. It's the death of darkness. It's the death of light, excuse me. It's darkness being exalted. And this is exactly what you have in the movie. This is giving license symbolically for the demon uh, to come out and wreak all kind of havoc. Possessed the little girl, the face, the Virgin Mary statue in the Dahlgren Chapel. Um, that that little that little that little play with the trick or treaters um, symbolically tells you it's the death of light. Darkness is coming. Stanley Kubrick, a few years later, pulls this exact same stunt in The Shining, where uh, Nicholson Jack Torrance is sitting in uh, Ullman's office and he's getting you know he's trying to interview. Well, he's not trying. He's interviewing for the caretaking job. And Alman uh, says to me, he says, "Well, are operating hours, I believe, from the beginning of May until October 30th. And that's when we close. Same thing. So, you know, when Jack Torrance is arriving with his family at the hotel, it's now October 31st. The hotel's closed. There's no guests there. Everyone's leaving. The staff is leaving. Same imagery, same occult theme. It's Halloween, the death of light, the death of the sun. Uh, darkness is being exalted. Uh, and what do we have happened in the overlook? All the demons and the ghosts come out to play, uh, and to terrorize the Torrance family. Um, so this is really excellent craftsmanship by William Peter Blatty, excuse me, by William Friedkin and by Stanley Kubrick, completely intentional, very occult, very esoteric.
0: And that movie I mentioned for anybody who wonders, cause a lot of times I get emails, Mel, can you repeat? It's called the orphanage. And uh, it was filmed uh, in Asturias, northern Spain. And it's again, it's a superior. I'm really not into ghost stories, but this one is the superior ghost story. And, you know, I reckon people watch it. Now, Robert, I was born. Check yes. it out.
1: I out. you didn't mean to interrupt. It's no, fun. that's
0: fine. It's a, if you like foreign films, it's, this is a great one. Now, I was born in the late 60s, but I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And I remember Halloween being a, a very spooky but innocent day. But then the movie Halloween came along. And, you know, again, we go back to John Carpenter and the soundtrack and all that. But then the movie, you know, Halloween came along and things changed a bit. I would say the same thing happened with Jaws, and my love for the beach, everybody was scared of the beach. And I also remember the, the ubiquitous uh, clown birthdays as a kid. He always had a clown until the killer clown movies came along. And there's even the, the new Stephen King movie, It, it's making millions of dollars. Now, do you see how these movies shape our culture and what used to be enjoyable can sometimes, you know, perhaps temporarily become less enjoyable because of a simple movie?
1: Oh, yes, I, I, I agree with you. Um, this is Halloween is a great example. John Carpenter's Halloween 1978. It's just a phenomenal example of how a movie can affect material culture, um, can affect society. Um, v- very much so. Uh, up until that movie came out, pretty much Halloween was considered a child's holiday. Um, you exactly. Know, trick, you know, trick or treating, period, end of story. Um, you know, maybe you go to a, a Halloween party. Or you know, bobbing for apples or something like that. That um, that's all it was. Um, what that movie did, uh, the Halloween movie, was really turn the the holiday back to its pagan roots, and what it what it was intentional. You know, and, and what it was was a night that evil could roam free, um, and you had to really be on your guard for that. I mean, and it was really after that movie that Halloween became. You know, much more than a holiday of taking children trick or treating, it became really a haunted holiday, a, a, a terrifying holiday, as it were, where you know you celebrate, um, you know, ghosts and evil. Almost, it's the exaltation of evil, and, and it's a great, it's a great leading because Halloween, that date, that the reason we celebrate Halloween right, right then is it's the exaltation of darkness. Quite literally, it's it's the halfway point, the delineation point between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice, and from then on. The days are considerably darker. Light is defeated, so it's it's symbolically the worship of darkness. Um, and that movie does that. Um, you know, you have the uh, emotionless uh, shape stalking the babysitters. Um, they can't kill it. They can't stop it. It's evil. It's 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 the night that evil's given license to roam free, and you better be on your guard. Um, and, you know, you know, if, you know, it's more than just taking children out with, you know, candy, trick or treating. I mean, it's a pagan holiday. It's a pagan festival. Understand what it is you're celebrating and, you know, honor it or else. Um, and that movie forever changed the holiday. I mean, you know, the, the the from then on, people really came to understand, OK, you know, this really is a, a holiday surrounding darkness and, and death and, you know, to be scared and yeah i agree with you it, it's a um it, it's definitely a movie that influences and impacts material culture it, it's a great example of that yeah and i i uh i don't i don't dispute it um you know it, it it definitely has uh you know meaning and uh definitely a very impactful film no
0: doubt about it so many movies friday the 13th i mean all these Campsites, you know, people are scared of, of of that, and then you have the clown movies. Because I remember as a kid, there was always a clown in every birthday. Now, if you see a clown, run.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the clowns were done in by John Wayne Gacy. Um, I think, I think, you know, in the early '80s when he came along, I think that's when clowns really began to give a, a sinister reputation. Right. And I suspect, I suspect that um, I, can't, I can't help but wonder if Pennywise. I mean, isn't like a John Wayne Gacy analog. I can't help believe it isn't. Uh, and, of course, It by Stephen King. I haven't seen the new movie yet, um, but there was a made-for-TV show, you know, movie they, with, with Tim Curry played Pennywise. I did see that, but it's been so long ago since I watched it. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, there, there you have it again where Gacy, the killer clown, uh, you know, sort of changes the perception of, uh, you know, what a clown is. And then Hollywood takes it and runs with it. And now all of a sudden, like you said, if you see a clown run in the other direction. Uh, so it is. And, and I guess, you know, just just tying in. I think for me, this is why this study is so important, because these movies do really Im- impact culture and society. Uh, and and to say otherwise is naive. So, you know, the, these movies are influential. It's, and, and, and because they are cult in nature, at least a lot of them are, uh, it, it just goes to show you, um, you know, how how society can be molded by the esoteric uh, I, I think that's uh I think that's an important study and something to always bear in mind when, when reading the books and watching the movies.
0: Just yesterday I opened my nightstand and I was I had some books inside and I found a DVD that I was looking for years ago and glad I found it, the X-File spin off the Lone Gunman. Now again, they're pilot episode folks. You probably know this. Aired in yep. March 2001, involving a government conspiracy to hijack a commercial airliner, fly it into the World Trade Center, and blame the act on terrorists to gain support for a new profit-making war. Now, talk about predictive programming here. Do you think the screenwriters are provided material for the purpose of predictive programming, or is it pure coincidence?
1: I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's predictive programming, but I don't. I agree with you also that it's not— Pure coincidence. I I suggest in the book, I mean, these nine eleven things popping up before the actual incident are definitely a fascinating study, and I do believe there is something to this. But this one
0: was almost identical.
1: Yeah, I do not believe it is coincidental. Um, I, I, as a lawyer, there's no such thing as a coincidence. But I do, on the other hand, have trouble believing that they're somehow being leaked information about this to put it in movies. um, That that I also have a little bit of difficult time. To believe. Um, but I guess it's possible. What I propose in the book, and I won't belabor this point, is I, I do get into the whole notion of um, the collective unconscious, Carl Gustav Jung. This comes from the idea of Plato. Uh, he called it the theory of forms. That this archetypal imagery is inherited, it's been passed down from generation to g- and generation, that it's symbolic, it deals with ancient religions, symbolism, the occult, Tarot, Kabbalah, um, all these arcane themes. What I propose in the book is to say, okay, if it's inherited, um, perhaps it's somehow predictive as well or or a fortune telling device. What I mean to say is because movies are an artistic expression um, of humans um, and probably in 2017, one of the prime artistic expressions of humans, is it possible that um, this material, this 9-11 material is somehow working its way via the collective conscious into cinema? That is possible. It's I can't prove it. It, it is uh, it controversial. I understand that. Um, but it is possible uh, and it would account for it um, because I just have a hard time believing that the Wachowski brothers were told, you know, hey, put nine eleven oh one on Neo's passport. But I do agree, on the other hand, that I, I can't just write it off and say, oh, it's a coincidence. Um, you know, when you see things like the lone gunman, I mean, what's critical with something like that? is That's right before the incident. I mean, things going back 20 years, I don't buy into. But, you know, The Lone Gunman is just a couple months beforehand. The Matrix was 1999. Um, certainly have the, the, the very interesting one from the Patriot movie with Mel Gibson from 2000. That was the summer of 2000 where he's making the chair at the beginning of the film in the barn. And uh, he weighs it and it weighs nine pounds, 11 ounces. And then he sits on it, and it comes crashing down. Uh, very interesting symbolism as well. So, you know, I don't want to sidestep the question. So I, what, what, I kind of, what I kind of fall back on is I agree with you. I don't believe it's coincidental, but I'm not at the point to say that these guys had foreknowledge of it. Um, so the, the best theory I could come up with is the whole idea that the collective unconscious is uh, a predictive mechanism as well, uh, somehow a device uh, perhaps, that that uh, is, is prophetic. I guess that's the better word. Um, I cannot prove that. It's just a theory on my part, but it would provide a rational explanation as to how this 9-11 imagery is popping up in cinema uh, a year or two before the actual event. Um, and I, I, I don't believe it's a coincidence either.
0: But I could speculate. Let's just pretend that they got a... Part of the screen, the the the, uh, the the script, and somebody provided to them because what they wanted to do is prepare the people to more or less accept the fact that this could potentially happen in the future, so that we more or less would be, you know, just just look for it if you will, and it happened. But anyway, I I know it's not a hundred percent guaranteed that they knew, but. It, my gosh! You watch that episode, and you think, "My goodness!" You know, somebody's writing the script, or some people who say, "Oh, Mel, we're living in the we're living in the end of times." Look at the Bible and this and that. Well, all they need to do is start looking at the script and start applying it. How simple would that be?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, I can't prove it. Um, I am not, you know, like I said, a hundred percent sold on predictive programming. Um, there are flaws with the argument. Um, you know, you could always craft the argument as you know well other things have happened that there was no no lead up to um, that you won't find imagery in cinema so you know at that point um, but you have a trauma you know a huge event like 9 eleven um, and like I said I, I I get into the idea of um, the the whole notion of um, the collective unconscious and uh, the the theory of forms being somehow a prophetic mechanism. I can't prove it. It's just a theory on my part, but it would account for it. Um, but I'm, I do agree with you, I don't believe it's a coincidence. Uh, and uh, like I said, I'm just not 100 percent on the predictive programming. Just I guess it's because I'm a lawyer and I, I could poke, poke holes in it because there's other incidents that happen where um, that, 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 that haven't been a lead up to, or other things in movies that have been prophetic, but certainly have been, haven't been catastrophic, um, you know as well, but, but they are prophetic um you know there was a movie coming out uh yeah I won't get into it but I, you know like I said I'm just not 100% sold on it but but it is interesting it is a fascinating study uh that that I won't deny
0: and you sh- certainly things can be in a movie and then they may materialize later but sometimes it, as you said if it happened 20 years ago well that could you know could possibly uh, a volcano yellowstone explodes in the year 2050 and it was predicted in in a movie 1988 well Chances are that it could possibly happen. But when it happened so quickly before, for example, the, the 2009 movie, Nicolas Cage, uh, the Knowing, or, or Knowing, rather, uh, the Gulf oil, the oil spill, that was just a year before.
1: Yeah, that's right. And that's something I actually mentioned in the book. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, again, you know, the title of the movie is actually knowing of all things. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is. It, and and there, what, what's interesting with this is there actually has been documented, um, you know, instances of this where this has been proven. Um, for instance, I know in the one Transformer movie, um, the rail gun. Um, you know that was intentionally placed there, and that came out. That came out later, where the military said, "Oh, we did that on purpose. Um, we were introducing the public that we actually have a <laughs> right. railgun now, and we put it in there on purpose." So this is documented before.
0: Didn't Tesla invent the railgun?
1: I don't know. I don't know exactly if. I mean, I'm sure Tesla's uh, science probably went into uh, the railgun, um, but I know the Navy developed it, and it was on a, a Navy destroyer or something, and that's the way it's presented in the movie. And uh, I believe the military, the Pentagon confirmed, yeah, this is a real thing. Uh, so very interesting.
0: Well, you, you always have the military. You know, what I've heard, and you probably have heard this too, that the military loves to participate in fun movies as long as we're always portrayed as the winner, the savior. And even if you have to add a few pieces of technology or weaponry that hasn't been showcased publicly yet, let's just put it out there as science fiction. So we can alert our enemies of our possible military might prowess.
1: Very possible. Uh absolutely. I you know, it when it surprised me, I mean, you know, you know, there are movies that are definitely made for propagandist purposes. I mean, this goes back in time even to the nineteen forties with Yankee Doodle Bandy, which is a Jimmy Cagney movie, which is completely made for propaganda purposes. Um, so this is again nothing new and uh, you know, has been going on for a while.
0: Certainly. Why is it necessary, Robert, then for Hollywood and those who are feeding this information to feature this in movies, in your opinion?
1: Well, I, th- I think when it comes to um, occult imagery, I, th- I think a lot of times, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, with, with the military, I mean, it could just be, you know, in a way to introduce the viewing audience to something new. Hey, let's do it in a movie. Let's do it in an entertaining purpose um there can be propaganda purposes again you know the whole anti-nazi movie uh you know Yan- yankee doodle dandy is of course just nothing but american propaganda i mean it's, it's a bleak time so you know we got to pump up the audience make them feel good about the country make them know that the war's worth it so you know let's put this movie out that's very patriotic very uplifting um you know you know m- m- movies can have that effect uh i I'm, I'm actually outlining uh cinema symbolism 3 right now one of the movies i'm taking on is a movie uh it was a movie that came out in 1948 uh called the red shoes um and it was very it's a very beautiful movie uh it came out it was made in england um and it it's a take on han christian andersen's uh uh, fairy tale or story called The Red Shoes. Uh, it, it, it was, it's about ballet, uh, it, this movie. It came out in 1948. It's very beautiful. It's very colorful. It's, it's very, um, it has a dark theme, but it's, it's, it's one of the, it, it's, it's filmed in technicolor and it's very, very beautiful. Uh, and this was done intentionally. Uh, 1948 in England was Misery. Um, people had no money um the country was coming out of world war ii um you know pe- people's lives had been altered people were dead um so this movie was being made um put out for an english audience to be uplifting um and to you know help them through this dark time so a movie can serve that purpose i think a lot of times when it comes to this esoteric imagery uh in film you know whether it be blade runner or You know, something like uh, the Harry Potter movies or Star Wars or the Matrix or something to that effect. I think the esoteric imagery is being placed because I think the filmmakers really want their their movies to resist the hands of time. And what the what the uh, what the imagery does is what the what incorporating this arcana does is it turns the movie into modern day mythology. I mean, you will clearly see this with movies such as Star Wars. You know, even now The Matrix. I mean, these movies reach like legendary status almost, and a lot of them are. Uh, retelling of mythology that that's uh, irrefutable but i i think you know for like a kubrick um or a darren aronofsky it really is imbuing their movie with this you know deep sense of mythology and arcana and uh you know like like the mystery tradition so you know i think that that that's another motivation fa- motivating factor for it i guess you know just to end the question I guess it would have to depend on the individual movie as to why, you know, what a a potential motivating factor for when it came out or, you know, you know, what what its true purpose is, assuming it even has one. Uh, You know, you know, I guess you'd have to just do that on an individual uh, cinematic basis. But, I mean, let's be honest. uh, Movies are very powerful. They're very influential. um, And these guys in Hollywood and whether it's the Pentagon with the X-Files or the FBI, um, these guys know that.
0: I find Robert science fiction to be the best technique for acclimation to acclimate the population to to new say technology things to come and even the reality of extraterrestrial life if you know if indeed there's et life you know but it could also be used with deceiving purposes i always wonder that speech that Ronald Reagan gave in the late 80s about you know imagine if if we could all unite ourselves to combat an extraterrestrial force coming to, 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 uh, to planet Earth. And when you look at all these movies portraying the aliens as negative, this is, again, more programming to letting people know, hey, maybe there's extraterrestrial life. And what if in the future a world leader comes out and says, we need to unite the world's military in order to combat this exterior force when in reality it could be a way to create a new world order, for example. You know, there's also the deceiving part of all of this don't you think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole extraterrestrial thing is very interesting. Um, you know, I, again, you know, you know, you could craft the argument, okay? Well, they're preparing us, but no aliens ever have shown up, or at least right. have. You know, if we ha- if they have, they haven't um, made it public or anything. That's certainly possible. Um, the the early extraterrestrial movies. This is a very interesting study. Um, and I'll just get into it quickly. Um, the, 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 the space inv- invasion movies of like the 1950s, um, the, the, these walk hand in glove with the giant insect movies. Um, and they, these have esoteric meaning as well. And, and again, this is, uh, you know, sort of the reverse where you talk about Halloween affecting the society. Those movies are the reverse. Those are society affecting Hollywood. Um, the early extraterrestrial movies, think of This Island Earth or uh, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, especially the Biggie, uh, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, this was symbolizing the communist red menace um, and, and, and the, the whole notion of um, a fifth column, a communist fifth column being set up. Uh, this was the height of the Cold War. And the entire extraterrestrial um, is, is symbolizing the the, uh, the 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 Soviet Union, um, where they want to a- acclimate us into a, a socialist society. Uh, you know, you'll find this with the Day the Earth is Still, invasion of the Body Snatchers. You know, the the, the, the one person's being killed off and replaced by the communist. Um, you know, who who just wants to acclimate himself into society. Uh, so those extraterrestrial movies from the fifties um, are symbol. You know, again, it's sort of the reverse of Halloween, where it's the society affecting Hollywood are symbolizing the Red Menace. Walking hand-in-hand with those are the giant insect movie. Um, Think Them with the giant ants running around the countryside or Mantis and, of course, the granddaddy of them all, Godzilla, I suppose, where this is the nuclear proliferation where with the Cold War with the Red Menace came the nuclear weapons and then you have... The side effect, which is the radiation causing all these insects to run amok and grow, you know, become giant and, and terrorize, you know, terrorize the countryside, essentially. So you have with those two genres and, and they're the exact same time frame. It's the 1950s, 1960s um, with the giant bug movie um, is, is the prol- proliferation of nuclear weapons. Um, so very interesting. Um, where it's the space alien, but the alien's actually representing the, the communist, uh, you know, Soviet Union. And then the giant insect is symbolizing uh, nuclear proliferation. Um, that's a fascinating study. That's something I took on in the first cinema book. Um, and again, it's, it's a whole, it's a reversal. It's where politics and society are actually affecting Hollywood. Um, very interesting.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I see more movies portraying extraterrestrials as malevolent, than oh, benevolent, yeah. I can think of E.T.S. One benevolent right. and Starman,
1: right? Yeah, every, every other space alien is by the by and large negative. I mean, you know, this even can go back to, um, you know, you know, with with like, uh, you know, invasion of the body snatchers. You know, they want to kill us all and, and turn us into pod people. War um, of the Worlds, yeah, War of the Worlds. They come down to to, to you know eradicate us. Um, even the guy in Clatu in the day there's still a threatening. I mean, you know, if you don't hey, if you guys don't fall in line, you're going to be annihilated. And of course you're getting the modern times you know, the modern space alien movie. I mean, you're, you're absolutely correct, Mel. I mean, you have ET who's the nice guy, um, star but then you get in the movies like, uh, you know, the independence day films, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of a couple others, Mars attack. I mean, that was a comedy, but still where the, uh, aliens are, are always hostile. So, you know, maybe it's a throwback to the Red Menace. Uh, maybe Hollywood knows something we don't. I guess uh, if, if, it's, if 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 it's Hollywood is uh, anticipating uh, extraterrestrials landing, I suppose only time
0: will tell on that one. When you said fifth column, it reminded me of the, the, the revamped TV series, The. But also there's right. a well, movie. Sure. Yes. And uh, there's a movie you don't mention in your book, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I wonder what, what esoteric significance it has. District 9. Did you watch that?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, the District 9. I mean, you know, the whole the, the whole idea. It is something I briefly mentioned um, that that movie, by and large, you know, I mean, I love it how in that movie where the that's an interesting take on the space aliens. That's where the space aliens are essentially bums um, are basically you know, like <laughs> yes. intergalactic bums, um, literally. I mean, they're just like scumbags. Um, but but but, but the, the 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 that was just an example of the one character going to an alchemical tr- tr- Uh, transition where he starts as one thing and then through this interaction with this alien chemical actually becomes an alien. And I I gave it as an example of an alchemical change in film you know, of where a character underwent a transition. Um, But I think District 9 is a great movie. Um, I liked it. It it certainly portrays the space aliens in a way that I, I couldn't think of them being portrayed in anywhere else where basically they're just kind of like scumbags, you know, bums essentially.
0: I believe there's a sequel coming of that movie.
1: I don't know. If there is, I'll have to check it out because I like District 9. Uh, But, you know, if if there's a sequel for it, by all means, I'll take a look at it.
0: Well, if you remember, I I think it was the ending when he, the guy who had to mutate into, you know, half a human alien, he dropped flowers to his wife. So maybe there's a a continuation there. Now, okay, here's an interesting one. Since you mentioned communism and the Soviets and, and socialism, the Smurfs, you found similarities between Papa Smurf and Karl Marx, and the Smurfs symbolize the perfect socialist Marxist society. Tell us more.
1: Oh, that's absolutely right. Um, that's that's something I talk about in Cinema Symbolism, too. This was something I first mentioned in Cinema Symbolism. Absolutely. Children's cartoon, um, very political. Uh, the Smurfs are just that. They're, they they all dress the same. They live in a perfect Socialist, communist society, none of them receive a wage, um, but they all live rent free and they all do, um, you know, whatever, you know, whatever they're best at is what they do, whether, you know, if if it's gardening, well, there's the one guy who does that. If it's the carpenter, there's the one guy who does that. It's all, you know, each according to their own, um, according to their needs. Um, and, and it is, it's, it's completely, all the all their little hovels, uh, look exactly the like, um, there's no diversity amongst the Smurfs. Um, it is completely communistic. Uh, the, the head Papa Smurf, or the head Smurf Papa Smurf, um, it looks just like Karl Marx with the white beard, you know, dresses in the red of the communists, Wears the red Phrygian cap of the sans-culot, those are the proto-Marxists from the French Revolution. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole, the whole, uh, thing is a is a symbol for the perfect communist society. Enter uh, uh, Gargamel. Um, you can look at him as twofold. Um, again, very occult in nature. Um, you know, uses alchemy to you know uses uh, uh, Kabbalah, uh, golem making to turn a lump of clay, invest it with uh, life, turns it into Smurfette. Um, that's com- that comes out of the world of Kabbalah, out of alchemy, uh, to send it into the perfect uh, Smurfs. Uh, you know the perfected socialist, you know commune, and wreak havoc. Um, that was the original pur- pur- purpose of Smurfette, um, and she, she's very Frankensteinish looking at first. It's Karl Marx, Papa Smurf catches wind of Gargamel's plan and uses white magic to turn Smurfette into the blonde-haired, you know, white shoe, high-heeled wearing Smurfette that we all know and love. Gargamel, you can look at as twofold. You could look at him as uh, the enemy of the communists, which of course is either the United States. Gargamel is very uh um materialistic. I mean he's constantly trying to transmute gold. And or you can look at it as Nazi Germany with the black costume, uh, you know, the fascination with the occult, think the SS, Heinrich Himmler. Um so yeah, the the you know, and of course being the enemy of the communists course, the Nazis were. So, yeah, the Smurfs are very esoteric. Um, finding esoteric symbolism in children's material is, um, is again, something you will find. You'll find this in the works of Walt Disney, uh, you, know, a, you know, without question. And the Smurfs are a great example of this, um, how this whole little cartoon is just representing communism versus capitalism or Nazism. Uh, interesting study, and it's something I got into in both books.
0: I can't believe we're discussing many of John Carpenter's movies here. Here's one of my favorite ones, a cult classic, Escape from New York. In the book, you see a connection with 9-11, 30 years after the movie was filmed, and also gematria. Explain the connection, and for those who may not know what gematria means, please define the term.
1: Oh, absolutely. This is the um, assignment, Gematria, uh, gematria is the assignment of numbers with letters. Um, and you will find this, this is very well done in escape from New York. Uh, again, you will have, it's 30 years earlier, but it's one of the first proto examples of flying a plane into lower Manhattan. I don't think it's an example of predictive programming, but, um, it, it is interesting to see it on film. Uh, you
0: know, Oh, I can't believe that when, sometimes when we talk about nine 11, we get these things and we get disconnected. I just lost Robert. And I wonder why
1: yeah man, my internet just cut off.
0: I was going to say, what in the world happened?
1: it just it just went off. um I mean I looked at my tower and it was completely off uh, but it came back on so I mean nothing I could do about it
0: No, that's fine. It happens once in a while when certain words are are said
1: you know I've, i i i' I've, I've gotten into you know it's so funny you mentioned this, and you could put this on the air. I mean, I've been on so many shows where I've talked about controversial uh topics and 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 the call drops i had it i've had it happen on landlines i've had it happen on skype i mean where i've really gotten into juicy you know interesting material and the call just drop um and i i can't account for it it's very strange
0: you were talking about the connection between escape from new york and 9 11 take it from there
1: Right. Um, so what we have here is we have the pre-9-11 imagery. Like you said, it's about 30 years beforehand. I can't fathom this is predictive programming. But nevertheless, you you know, you will see the flight, the plane going into the, you know, lower Manhattan area. Um, very, very interesting. Um, and then the plane has been hijacked by terrorists, of all things. Um, so, you know, you do have this pre-9-11 imagery. And I think you were asking me about Jermatria, which is the uh, yeah. Hebrew this comes out of the world of Kabbalah. This is the assignment of um, letters, numbers to letters, um, and it, you have the the Air Force One is
0: David, David. fourteen.
1: Correct. Um, very great. Very well done by John Carpenter. Um, fourteen is uh, David in Jamatria. Uh, of course, it's the Jewish monarch.
0: I cannot believe it. If he got disconnected again because he's using certain words,
1: it's just that. It's sort of. Uh, a- by the way,
0: all of a sudden I lost you. And I made the comment saying you used the word Jewish and boom, disconnected.
1: Yeah, well, you, you know, this is this is Jewish mysticism. This is Kabbalah.
0: No, no, I know, um, but I, I, I lost know. you for about 10 seconds. When you used that word, 10 seconds of silence.
1: Well, I'll go over it again. I okay. Mean, maybe, we have, maybe we have to change the subject on this <laughs> um, because it seems like every time I start talking about Kabbalah and Gematria and nine eleven 11 and uh, the flight number, um, the call seems to be dropping. Um, at any rate, Escape from New York. The flight is David fourteen, intentionally done. I talk about this in the book, um, in cinema symbolism uh, too. The, the David in gematria is fourteen. Uh, that's what it adds up to. Uh, DVD is for the number fourteen. Um, and of course, this is the flight number, uh, David fourteen. Uh, just great, you g- know, g- g- use of gematria, investing the president as the all, you know, all-powerful ruler, um, the King David esque figure, um, the monarch, uh, the survival of Western civilization rests on him. So by calling uh, Air Force One with the president on board, David 14, that's Kabbalah, that's Dramatria. Um, and, uh, it's a great use of it because David is 14 and that's the number of the flight is David 14. Uh, just no question. That's not intentional.
0: What about Snake Bliskin? Is there any kind of occultism or esoteric symbolism with him?
1: Well, i would call him an archetype um sort of the anti-hero figure figure like hannibal lecter um the guy who's the bad guy but you're rooting for him um the name snake of course serpent wisdom uh you know i mean of course you know he's the guy who gets the president out and of course you know thwarts him at, at the end as well you know the the serpent in the garden the trickster um So, yeah, um, Carpenter's movies are, are, you know, very uh, esoteric. And I like them. I mean, I like Escape from New York. I like They Live. I love Halloween. Um, So, you know, by all means, uh, you know, check out the book and uh, pay attention to his movies. Uh, A lot of hidden symbolism.
0: Why? Speaking of Snake Bliskin, the serpent. Why is the snake so demonized in Western civilization now?
1: Well, you can thank the church for that. Um, the, The serpent is ultimately a symbol of wisdom uh and i guess you know you could say you know this comes from the dna chain um i mean you know the the caduceus of hermes has the intertwined serpents uh so it's an Im- it's a symbol of wisdom of course it's demonized through the garden of eden story the the, the 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 fall of man the fall of eden is based on you know is because of the serpent so that that's where it gets its negative reputation from um but you know the, you know i mean you know the serpent has always been is really a serp- a symbol of wisdom uh that's the correct Uh, symbolism with it Um, it can be used as a symbol of evil of course it generally is um, but it's general it's a it's a wisdom symbol Um, think like i said the caduceus of hermes um, hermes trismegistus even so um, again the negative connotations come from uh, the 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 eve uh, you know the adam and eve story in the garden and uh, you know that's where it gets its negative connotations from but um, yeah i mean the serpent in cinema you, you will find it and if uh, it's properly used correctly, it, it can denote wisdom. It can denote like left-hand path wisdom as well. That That's a lot of times where you see it. I think of uh of Doom in, uh, in uh, Conan the Barbarian, the guy who's the magician, can change into the serpent. And of course, his symbol is the two serpents symbolizing the Caduceus of Hermes with the sun in between, enlightenment, very well done.
0: This is also fascinating because when you watch a movie in the movie theater, I wouldn't want to watch a movie in the movie theater with you, Robert, because i you probably will be turning on your iPad and, and writing things down. No, but you probably go to the movies, watch it once, and then you wait until it comes out on DVD and then watch it and watch it and watch Is that what you do?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a lot of times what I do. Sometimes I just wait till, till Blu-ray or, or DVD. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes I go and see it in the movies and I'm making mental notes or, you know, okay, I gotta remember this. Um, but, you know, like you were saying at the beginning, it's a deep study and what, you know, it really has to be done having the Blu-ray or DVD so you can watch it over again, pause it, go backwards, forwards, um, because these guys hide this stuff all over the damn place. And, uh, you know, one thing at the beginning can relate to something at the end, vice versa. Um, And believe me when I tell you, it can be sometimes very, it's a deep study. It can be very hard to pick up on sometimes.
0: But you go, you know, Monday morning, a matinee at the movie theater when you're alone in the theater and then you can do whatever the heck you want. But folks, don't go anywhere. We have a lot more to discuss with Robert Sullivan. Robert, how can people buy all your books, including Cinema Symbolism 1 and 2?
1: Yeah, well, they're, they're available on, um, and I know this is just for the first hour. Again, thank you, Mel, for having me on Veritas. Um, hour number two will be coming up, so thank you. Um, if you're interested in what I'm talking about, interested in my books, um, they're available on all the major online retailers. Um, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. You can get the Kindle, you can get the print edition, that's no problem. Um, the easiest way is just, you know, the links, just go to my website, uh, my name is Robert W. Sullivan, the fourth. My website is my name, www.robertw.sullivan, the letter I, the letter V for the fourth, Uh Links to buy the books, uh, um, um, uh, information about upcoming shows I'm going to be on, information about me, my biography, links to my social media, Twitter, YouTube. Very easy to navigate. Go right there. Again, if you just go to Amazon and want to just search it in, um, that's fine. I'm sure Mel. We'll put the links up on the webpage when the time comes. Um, so, yeah, my website is www.robertwsullivanid.com, but the books are available on all major online retailers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, um, just by doing a, just by putting it in the search engine.
0: Excellent. Folks, we're just scratching the surface. We have a lot more to discuss, a lot of movies. We're going to discuss a lot of uh, newer movies, too, and some old ones, too, some classics. This is Mel Fabregas. I'm here with Robert Sullivan discussing Cinema Symbolism Part 2. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our archived material, go to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for great products, including pure organic sulfur, rebounders, turmeric, and more. Thank you.